I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving and indestructible word to the book of Habakkuk. It's this little book in the Old Testament. It's the first kind of half or two-thirds of the Bible. And, um, it, you know, the best way, if, you, if you're like, where on earth is that? I've never read Habakkuk before. Just look it up in the table of contents, and um, you can make your way there. We'll be starting in chapter 3 this morning. Well, I want to thank Evan uh, coming down, a new friend. He was a friend of a friend, now a new friend of mine, to come and lead us this morning in worship uh, all the way from New Hampshire. And uh, really thankful for, for him and his leadership this morning. Um, also want to thank all of you. And hopefully this is all of you, whether you prayed for, gave financial resources, or were one of the 50 people that served yesterday to distribute 95 Thanksgiving meals to families around Medford. Hey, give it up for that effort together. Super. I love being a part of this church because Redemption Hill gets what it means to love people with the love of Christ and serve people with the love of Christ. One of the ways we do that every year is through our Thanksgiving meal distribution. So thank you for participating in that. Hey, if you're new with us, my name is Pastor Tanner Turley, um, and really grateful that you're here. If you would, fill out that connect card when you came in, or you can do that online, rhc.church forward slash cc. And then also, go ahead and make plans, all right? If you're, if you're new, or if you're relatively new to, to Redemption Hill, you've never been to what we call next we're going to have uh, next, right after the service, it's a free luncheon, um, and it's just a way for you to connect with other people, learn more about the heartbeat of Redemption Hill, so we would love for you to stick around and join us for that. Well, uh, this morning, we're going to wrap up our series called Questions in the Storm, and it's a series that zooms in on the life and shall we say, the predicament, the dilemma, the problem of this man named Habakkuk. It's a little book, but Habakkuk has a major problem, right? He is facing a storm that is massive in scale. It's not just a personal problem for Habakkuk. It is a problem that extends around him and even beyond him to his own nation and to other nations. Basically what's happening here, if you're just catching up to speed with us in this series, is Habakkuk is experiencing injustice around him like he's never seen before. People have basically forsaken God, forsaken God's way uh, for their lives, and there is injustice that is basically uh, surrounding him. It has him under siege. But not only that, uh, so Habakkuk in that moment is like, God, what is going on here? And then God answers and he says, um, you know, the injustice has really just begun because there are these wicked people known as the Babylonians. And they are coming in, and I'm not going to prevent them from coming. I'm going to allow them to come, and they're going to accomplish my purposes of waking you up to return to me. So the Babylonians came into Israel, to the land of Judah, and they ransacked the land, carried them off into exile. So injustice is compounded upon injustice. And so we are not surprised then to think that, man, Habakkuk probably in this moment, I mean, we would, we would 
be understanding if, if he said, you know what, man, I'm getting out of here while the getting is good, right? Like, I'm going to flee the country. I'm going to seek asylum, okay? He doesn't do that. He also doesn't, like, in his mental angst, he doesn't kind of check himself into a, a mental health institution, okay? What Habakkuk does is absolutely, I would say, shocking. Because what we find in chapter 3 is that because of Habakkuk's vision of God, because he sees who God is clearly, and because he's willing to place his faith in this God and wait, he can actually sing in the midst of the storm. And so this amazing twist happens in chapter 3 when we would think Habakkuk might have more questions, that he might be uh, angry at what's going on around him. We find that when the storm continues to rage on, Habakkuk rose and sang. And that is what we are invited to do as well. No matter what storm is going on in your life, no matter how intense the storm is raging, The good news of Habakkuk and the good news of Jesus Christ is that we can rise in the midst of the storm and we can sing. And you're saying like, well, Tanner, how on earth is this possible, right? Habakkuk would have been overwhelmed by the suffering around him and the suffering that he's experiencing. And like, you know, suffering is not a time for singing, Tanner. Like what is going on here? How could we sing in the midst of the storm? And I want to give you two thoughts on that, that we see from chapter three and that we can apply to our own lives, okay? So uh, number one, we can sing in the storm because God is our salvation. One of the first uh, observations that we're going to see as we get into these verses and that is that songs in, in the scripture, really almost without fail, they are always prayers to God. We see this in the beginning of, of, of chapter 3. Look at this. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. According to Shigianoth, okay, this is a musical term that then tips us off, and we can see how um, the, 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 the writer has structured this, okay, and we have these verses of song that follow. Look at verse 2. Habakkuk cries out, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. You see, Habakkuk begins with a prayer. Prayer express gratitude and praise. In prayer, we confess things to God. And in prayer, we make requests of God. And so this is clearly what's going on here in, in, in verse 2. There are three requests. After it says, I have heard the report of you. The NIV says, I have heard of your fame, God. Then he makes three requests. He says, look, would you revive your work, number one. Number two, as you revive your work, would you make it known, not just to, to us, but to all peoples. And then he has this prayer that even in the midst of your judgment, God, even in the midst of the consequences that are coming, in the midst of your just wrath, would you remember mercy? Such a, such a humble and such a, 
a proper request, basically for God to be God, for God to act like himself. This is how we pray. We, we pray, God, I know this is who you are, so would you act and move and work in accordance with who I know you to be? This prayer is in the form of a song. And again, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a major twist in, in, in the narrative, right? How could Habakkuk be singing in the midst of the storm? Why is this so important? And so let me just give you a couple of thoughts, okay? Number one, we should sing for the sake of our own souls, all right? We should sing for the sake of our souls. And, and, and why is this, okay? Because this is what's good for us. God commands our singing. Over 50 times in the Bible, we see that God instructs us to sing. So Psalm 96 verse 1 says, sing to the Lord a new song. And this song shouldn't just be restricted to like kind of like a Sunday thing or like when I really feel like it thing. Okay, listen to some other Psalms. Uh, Psalm 59 verse 16, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love. When? In the morning. For you have been to me a fortress. Oh, wait, but but not just in the morning. Listen to Psalm 149, verses 4 and 5. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And then it says what? Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. In the morning, sing him praise. In the evening, sing him praise. It's like a, a, the Hebrew term, a poetic term is called a merism. It means like from, from day and night and everything in between, we are to give God praise because he is worthy of that praise. He is a fortress. He is good. He is worthy of our highest allegiance and affection. So God commands us to sing And I think he commands us to sing because, guess what? He made us to sing. I mean, as we're going through this, I really want you to evaluate your life. I want you to evaluate your week. Uh, God has taught me in the midst of storms, and and life is filled with storms, right? Like I could just open up my journal and share some storms that I'm walking through right now, okay? Since we started this series, I didn't plan on sharing this, but here we go, right? Since we started this series, our two-and-a-half-year-old hasn't slept one night consistently through since we started this series, okay? So that's a little storm, all right? Like, I'm losing some sleep around here. We don't like it. Parents, you've probably been there, all right? But that's just a little storm. We all go through different storms. Some are minor, some are major, but we need to sing. So, so evaluate, man, how often am I turning to God in song and singing and praising him when life is great and when life is not so great? We are commanded to sing, and we are made to sing, which is, I believe, why God commands it, right? If he, if he made us for this, then why wouldn't he say, like, you were made for this, so then go do it. Job 38 says that when God flung the stars into existence, they birth, burst forth in song. Music was in the fabric of creation. But even before that, God is a singing God. Now, like, if you've never heard this verse before, and you probably still, I mean, like, you may not even know what to do with this verse. Listen to, listen to Zephaniah 3.17, okay? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will quiet you with his love. 
He will exult over you with loud singing. Like, it's hard, like it, it was really hard for me to wrap my mind and my heart around this verse. Why? Because it's, it's amazing that God would even think about me. It's amazing that God would even care for me, much less that he would delight in me and rejoice in me and exult over me in song. And so how, did, how do we make, make sense of this? I don't think we can until we understand that the most natural thing for God to do is to pour out his love. This is why he created the world, and this is why he offers redemption through Christ. Because the most natural thing for the Father, Son, Spirit, triune God, who has ever existed in eternally loving relationship, okay, um, the most natural thing for him to do is to love. So why wouldn't we, ex- we expect that he would want to pour out his love on us? God is a singing God. And this is kind of the Old Testament vision of God, but then we get to the New Testament and we hear a verse like this in Hebrews 2.12 that says this. Check this out. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. What? I will sing your praise. Whose words are these? The ultimate worship leader. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to like, hey, you can take your Hillsong, you can take your Chris Tomlin, all right, whatever, all right? I'm just saying like Jesus in the end is going to, because he is risen and alive and victorious and reigns over all things, we'll have the last word in the very end, okay? He will lead us in song forever. What an amazing picture it is. Our God is a singing God. He made us to sing. So, so like when you hear a song and you hear those strings start to play and, and that beat kicks in, you know what I'm saying? And you just kind of, you're just feeling it, you just like it. God made you to enjoy that. He's woven into the very threads of his creation and most certainly his redemption in Christ. So we are made in his image. We are to reflect him through our song and we sing because as those made to sing, listen, we can't help but sing, all right? We can't help but sing. And, and this is put so well by uh, a, a, a scholar who was an English scholar um, who was once an atheist turned Christian named C.S. Lewis, who in his reflections on the Psalms puts it like this. He said, when, before I really came to understand the story of Jesus, I thought that God was like a vain woman looking for compliments, like praise me, sing praises to me, praise me. And and so he was really put off by God who seemed like a megalomaniac, just like, you know, needing praise, very narcissistic thing it seemed to be of God to demand that we praise him until Lewis says this. He says, finally, I realized that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. So let me translate that. Like We praise what we enjoy, right? What makes us excited, what gives us enjoyment, we naturally want to talk about that and, and lift that up, whether it's a ball game, whether, whether it's a, a beautiful sunset, okay, whether it's a relationship, even a conversation, we praise what we enjoy. 
And so Lewis goes on to say, my whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, namely God, what we delight to do, what we indeed can't help but doing about everything else we value. Once we see that God is God and that God is supremely valuable, we're going to burst forth in praise. And so he goes on to say this, and I love this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses the joy, but it completes the enjoyment. Do, do, you, do you see that? Like, like, because I enjoy God so much, that there is something incomplete, there is something missing until I voice it in praise to God. And then I can like exhale, right? I can, ah, it's, it, I, the finality is there when we voice the praise to God. Song is designed to express and to motivate God-glorifying emotions. So the reason that we, we sing praise to God is because God is worthy of praise, right? And the, and the reason we put instrumentation on it and music is because it gives us this outlet to express praise to God, but it also motivates our praise to God, right? Jonathan Edwards puts it like this, a pastor from the 18th century, okay? They even had music back then, all right? Um, he, he, he said this, the, the duty, you like that, all right, the duty of singing, this is good, the duty of singing praise to God seems to be given wholly to excite and express religious affections, all right? We've been given song and verse to, to sing praise of God, to, to um, excite our desires for God, our love for God. So he goes on to say this, there is no other reason why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and with music, except these things have a tendency to move our affections. So, so to put that in very practical terms, like when you walk in at 1030, and then you walk out at 11.50 or whatever the time is, okay, you're, something should have happened to our hearts. This music, these words, these songs, they're meant to stir us, to affect us, to, to make us remember who God is and to love him more and to want to express that more. Moving forward, so... We are not. Let me be clear here, okay? Because Edward's statement is very, it's very strong, right? And maybe you get like the holy, that's a, that's a strong you know, adverb. Like maybe we should soften that a little bit. Okay, um, but, but the point is made. And we're not chasing after emotionalism, right? It's not like see how many instruments we can get up and like make the lights go a certain way and get every, make everything sensational and just all about an experience. So we feel good without substance. No, we are responding to God because of who he is and what he's done. This is why we sing praise, which leads us to the second encouragement. Not, should we only, uh, not only should we sing for the sake of our souls, because God commands it and he made us for it, but we should sing praise because of God's past work. In the midst of the storm, what we need more than anything, as we said last week, is a vision of God. 
Habakkuk saw this amazing vision of God as he was waiting for God to respond in faith. And God shows up and he says, look, this is who I am. I'm going to to work out justice in the end. You can trust me because I am God. In the midst of the storm, we can basically say, look, God, I don't know what you're up to, but I know who you are. I've seen your work in the past, and I'm going to trust that you being that same God in the past will be the same God today and tomorrow. So as Habakkuk saw, as we saw last week, um, the, the godness of God, I love this. The godness of God. God is glorious. Habakkuk 2.14, what does it say? The, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's, that's comprehensive in scope. It's, 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 a, it's an image that says in totality, when all is said and done, the earth is going to be filled with, with God's glory. Everyone's going to know it, and those who, who know it through Christ are going to enjoy it forever. God is glorious, but God is also holy. And so we said in the midst of the storm, we can be silent in the storm uh, because of, of who God is. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So this is the godness of God. This is the, the character of God on display. God is glorious. He is holy. He is good. He is worthy of our trust and faith. But this song here, that Habakkuk sings, it's a meditation, not so much on the character of God, but the work of God. And, and, and listen to this, his character and his work always go together. They're always consistent. Everything that God does is consistent with who he is, unlike us. Well, sorry, that's another sermon. I need to tease that out. But we, 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 we operate with consistent with, with, with our heart, right? Good things come out of, out of us, bad things come out of us. That's not the case with God. It's always perfect and good. So, so what, is, what does this song say about God's past work? Let's, let's just break it down a, a few verses at a time. Verses 3 and 4, look at this. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Okay, so what's going on here, just to summarize this, all right, is verses 3 through 15 are a meditation on God's work in bringing the people of Israel out of slavery and oppression in Egypt and bringing them to Mount Sinai to receive his instructions. Maybe you've heard of the Ten Commandments, all right? And then from there to take them into the promised land. That's 3 through 15, and there's like this end note on verse 14 that basically says, hey, you're going to work out your salvation, and that's a forever thing. So it's like all of what, what scholars would call salvation history, okay? From redemption back then to redemption moving forward, okay? Everybody tracking with me? So in this, Habakkuk is remembering God revealing himself in bringing them out and in revealing himself on Mount Sinai, and he says, your splendor covered the heavens, Your brightness was like the light. Rays flashed forth from your hand. And then listen to this. Don't miss this little phrase. It says, and there he veiled his power. Did you catch that? 
So in other words, like splendor covering the heavens, rays of light flashing forth in power. And Habakkuk is saying, look, this is just a whisper of who you are. It's just a preview. It's just a glimpse. We haven't even begun to scratch the surface with how glorious and great God is. Okay, can we just stop right there? And you want like, okay, let's keep going. All right, so verse five, before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the, the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kishon in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. So just a couple of thoughts here. I mean, so like to measure the earth is to show ownership over it. Right? Like, if you, can, if you can measure the earth, like if you have that vantage point, then it must belong to you. That's the, that's the godness of God and the work of God on display. Then number two, it says that he looked and the nation shook. Again, this is, this is an allusion to the great works of God that he accomplished in Egypt in bringing his people out. The nations got word of that and they trembled. They were, they were afraid to mess with this God because God is that powerful. Verse 8, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses or your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave voice forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. This is an allusion to the book of Joshua. When God caused this to happen and gave them victory at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You thrust the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors. And listen, if all that sounds like really hard to hear, this is, this is why, okay? Um, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. Okay, so this is like God like, like executing um, justice and punishment on good people, okay? This was God executing justice on people who deserved it. Verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. You say, well, Tina, like, what, why is all that important? I mean, after all, like, they happened like a long time ago, Tina. Like, what's up with that? It's because their God is Habakkuk's God, who is our God. God, you did that in, in the past. You can do it today. God, you calm that storm in the past. You have the same power today to calm my storm. And even if you don't calm it, you have the power to get me through it. This is, by the way, what we could call the logic of the gospel. 
the logic of the gospel, which teaches us past grace is the greatest reason for confidence in future grace. All right? You follow me? So, so we see God's work in the past so we can confidently look toward the future and expect that his grace is on the horizon. And the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, um, puts it like this in Romans 8 when he says this. These are great verses. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's pretty good. But then follow the reasoning of these, these words, okay? He who did not spare his own son, speaking of God, giving up Jesus on the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you follow? Like, if God loved us so much to send Jesus to live a perfect life on our behalf and to die a cruel death on our behalf and rise again so that we might get in on that life, if God would do that, then what else do we have to worry about? It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. These, these are the words that God was teaching me, all right? This is like, okay, not to tone it down too much, but this, you're going to like this, okay? These are the verses that really serve my soul, all right? When I was, when I was in grad school and uh, this, this young lady named Marsha, um, she broke up with me, all right? Now, I had been meditating on these verses, and so you know what? I, on, the, on the phone, as she's like telling me she feels like God wants her to be single, all right? God was telling me something different, but that's a different story. All right. Um, <laughs> I said to her, well, then if, if God's leading you to be single and, and this isn't supposed to be, then I can only conclude that God has a better plan for you and a better plan for me. Because if God sent Jesus, like, even if that means singleness, whatever that means, like, if God loves me that much, he'll love me through this. I did say that after a few tears, all right? Uh, it was hard, but, but we can hang on to that, right? That's the logic of the gospel. And so, and so just let me say very, very carefully, out of concern, whatever storm you're going through, no matter how difficult it is. If God does nothing else for you, you have every reason to give him praise because he has given you life now and life beyond this life through Jesus. Habakkuk sings because what he sees behind him, but he doesn't stop there. Because it's one thing to sing of a victory gone by. It's another thing to sing in faith of a victory that lies ahead. And that's how this this chapter ends. Look at verse 16. He says this. In light of all this, in light of everything that he's seen, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though, listen to this confession, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will 
rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. We can sing in the storm because God is our salvation, and we can sing in the storm because God is our joy. We see three observations from this really, really quickly, okay? Number one, songs reveal our faith. So, so if, you're, if you're willing, if you have, we should maybe say, the grace to sing in the midst of the storm, what that's doing is it is revealing the faith that lies within you. So, so at this point, yes, Habakkuk could look back to the past and he could sing because of what God has done. But as he was looking around him right now, he doesn't see anything. So in this moment, as he rejoices in God, he's saying, if things go from bad to worse, all right? Like there's, there's no, what, what these verses describe is the economic rug just being ripped out from Habakkuk's feet, where he has no provision, there's nothing good that's happening around him, and, and, and he's saying, yet even in this moment, even though I have nothing and the people around me have nothing, I can still rejoice in you, God. He doesn't sing because he sees it. But he sees, sings because he sees it, right? I mean, can I catch that, right? Like, he doesn't see it right now, but he, but he sees it out there. And so here, here's, just a, here's just a tip. And I hope you'll walk away with this today. Listen, if, if we allow our circumstances to dictate our joy, our joy will be a constant roller coaster, right? It will look like the stock market. It'll be up and down, up and down, up and down, all right? But what Habakkuk does is he says, look, it's not my joy, all right, in, in life, and God is not dependent on my circumstances, but it's dependent on who God is. So, so, so our faith in the midst of the storm, which leads to our song in the midst of the storm, is only as good as the one we're putting our faith in. Your faith will only be as good as the one you're putting your faith in. This is why we get hurt. This is why we get disappointed. This is why we feel so let down, because when we trust in people, people will ultimately, at some level, they'll always let us down, right? They're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're going to let one another down. So, so what I'm calling us today to is not a trust in people who will fail us, but I'm calling us to faith in a God who never fails. Song reveals the soul's faith, and song also reveals the soul's freedom. I love this. I was reading in the Proverbs a couple months ago, and I came across this verse in chapter 29, that, that in, in verse 6, that says this, A righteous man sings and rejoices. And that verse kind of just caught me off guard because, like, you know, as I've shared, like, I've been going through some storms, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I just had to ask, like, how often am I singing to God because song indicates the soul's freedom, right? It reveals whether or not we are free or we are burdened and weighed down by the circumstances around us. 
if we think the circumstances in our life will bring us joy, we're, we're, we're trusting in false advertisement, right? That's false advertisement. That's not, that's not what does it. But when we see God for who he is, then, then we are freed from our burdens. We're freed from our anxieties. We're freed from the fears of what's going to happen around the corner because we know that God is ultimately in control. He's got this, and I can continue to worship him and sing to him in the midst of the storm. So songs reveal the soul's faith. Songs reveal the soul's freedom. But then, but then finally also, I think this is important, songs can also bring the soul's freedom. You say, well, Tanner, what are you talking about? This is what I'm talking about, okay? Um, in some of the darkest moments of my life, what I have found is that the best thing that I can do oftentimes, all right, is push play. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever, iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, CDs, cassettes, HRAT, whatever, okay? Like, push play and sing. And if you can't sing, still push play and listen. Because songs remind, like good ones, right? Like ones that reflect this, they bring our perspective back. They remind us that, that all, of, all of this is true. That this God is the same God and this God is our God. And he's the God of the storm then. He's the God of the storm now and in the future. And so I can trust him and I can sing to him. Songs lift us up and we all want to be uplifted. Songs help us gain perspective. Like what's, what's happening? Let me just tell you what's happening in the midst of your storm, okay? What's happening in the midst of your storm is that Satan wants to pounce on you in the midst of the storm. And what Satan will do is he will maximize everything that's bad and he will help minimize everything that's good. And so one thing that you can do in the midst of your storm is record the small evidence of grace and reasons to celebrate when things are going bad. Because in the midst of the storm, we're, we're, we're liable to miss it, right? Like, man, I, yes, this is bad, but look at all of these good things. Look at all these little blessings in front of me. Look at all of these ways that God is gracious to me and the people that he's surrounded me with. And, and yes, that's happening, but this just happened. And, and I need to record that. I need to rejoice in that. I need to write that down. Songs can bring us back. Songs can lift us up and, and, and help us get to that place where we can truly sing. And so listen, no matter how bad this gets, I, I know storms can steal our songs, right? Storms can steal our songs, but songs can change our stories. And so what I want to encourage you today is, look, allow this song, allow the songs that God puts in your heart because of who he is and what he's done, allow it to change your story. And let me just end with this thought, okay? The only way, the only way this will happen is through verse 19. There is this rhythm in verse 16 and then again in verses 17 and 18 where Habakkuk says like, this is what's going on, yet I will. This is what's going on. Everything's collapsing around me, yet I will. How can Habakkuk fight through the storm? 
How can he persevere on when everyone else would have dropped out of the race around him? It's because God the Lord is my strength. God is my strength. He is the one who lifts me up and pushes me through the storm. He gives me everything that I need. He energizes me to press on when I have no strength in and of myself. To the point where even what started in the midst of the valley, Habakkuk would say, he makes my feet like the deer and I can tread on high places because God is this good and this glorious and this strong and he strengthens me now to live my life, even in the midst of the storm, through him. So what I want to do is is, is this. I want to encourage you. Just as this twist happens in the story of Habakkuk. My hope and my prayer for us is that when we go through the storms of life, right now in the future, the storms are going to continue to come. Listen, we can surprise those around us and perhaps we'll even surprise ourselves because as we see God and as we trust in who he is and as we respond to him in faith, we can sing in the midst of the storm. So let your life surprise others because you can sing in the storm. What, what I want to do is I want to invite Evan and the team to come, come up, and they're going to lead us in a song that is designed, listen, it's designed to reveal our faith, but it's designed to strengthen our faith, right? Because songs reveal the soul's freedom, but songs also bring the soul's freedom. This song is a song it's a classic song the church has sang for, 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 for many, many years titled, It Is Well. It's a confession that no matter what is going on around us, we can say because of who God is and what he's done, it is well with my soul. So let's pray together and let's respond to God as we sing in the midst of the storms of our lives. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who is sovereign and in control of every detail of our lives, and yes, even every storm. And so, Father, I, I ask for your, your grace and your mercy to be upon my friends here this morning and, and those who will, who, who, will, who will listen online. Um, God, would you strengthen them? Would you give them a vision of you? God, give us that vision that we might sing and worship. God, we can't do it. We can't do it unless you show up, unless you show us who you are. So Father, help us to navigate the storms of life with your grace and your strength to praise you and to point others to the praise of you because you are that great and you are that worthy. God, we bring you our questions. We bring you our trust. And we bring you our song. All because of Jesus and what he's done.